TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up For A Chat, featuring Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, Up For A Chat, about the hottest topics that are most important to you. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And today, we're going to introduce ourselves to you. We're going to tell you all about what we do, why we do it, and how you can take what we know and implement it into your life so you can start to see that it's, it can make a difference for you. So, Cindy, we're going to start with you today, and we can't wait to unwrap the package that's the spunky, the gorgeous, delicious, <laughs> <laughs> the most fabulous creature that ever walked. But I actually think, I don't know about you, Kim, but I actually think Cindy's got to be one of the most down-to-earth, real, practical, intelligent women who who is actually a guru in your field. Thank you. And I mean, really, I mean, I feel really lucky to have had you come into my house and clean out my fridge, like, you know, totally wipe out my cupboards to the point where now I have nothing left in my cupboards other than health food, health food, raw cacao, coconut milk and stuff like that. I mean, so tell us about how you actually got to doing what you're doing. Like, why did you decide to become so passionately involved in this industry? Well, you know, my, my family was all about health and it was, I guess, because of my mum and dad that I wanted to do health. And as a result of that, uh, I, by the way, I also wanted to ski. That was, that was top <laughs> yeah, of the Let's get our priorities right. I actually did want to ski. And in Australia, there was no university that I could ski or go to university. It was like four or five hours apart. So I picked a university uh, where I could ski, which was the University of Colorado in Boulder. And it was that year that I was there that I was able to do any science subject that I wanted to do. And one of the topics that I did was anthropology, and it just revved me up. It like was one of those things that gave me a spark. And that spark actually ended up getting me more interested in how we evolved with food. And so I came back to Australia, went to the university um, in Deakin, uh, or Deakin University in Warm Ponds, and did my Bachelor of Science majoring in Nutrition. Once I'd finished that, I looked at my lecturers and I went, they're fat, sick, and nearly broke. Mm-hmm. And they were always sick. They, were, they always had a problem in their lives. And I just thought, well, I don't want to be a nutritionist. And then when I saw what the dietitians were doing in the hospitals and what they were feeding people, do you know one thing I found out is that they were giving sick people as a feed high fructose corn syrup, canola oil, and soy protein isolate. What was that last one? Soya protein isolate, which is the soybean that's isolated and they just pull the protein out of it. So they were actually giving sick people these three products with 14 vitamins and minerals. And I went, how can anybody get well on that? You you might survive, but you're not going to thrive. So it was this total disgust with what I was being taught. This was 30 years ago that I went, I can't do this. So I went back to university, cut up a bunch of bodies for two years. That's what I did. Dead. They were dead. They were dead. (laughs) They were definitely dead. And I went at the end of that two years, oh, that was a waste of time. It's not the dead ones that I needed to worry about. It was the live ones. And it was this whole anatomy and anthropology and this nutrition that I went, I actually know what the body needs and it doesn't know. It's not what I was taught. So I ended up, uh, you know, leaving all of that and did my own consulting um, and doing my own form of nutrition, which was the opposite to what everyone else was doing. 
And I was very heretical back then, and my mentors were, were people like uh, Dorothy Hall or uh, I can't even remember something. There was only a couple out. Now I could choose 45 people that I would want to follow their blogs and their information. Uh, so it's really changing, and it has changed a lot in that 30 years. So basically I wrote a book, Changing Habits, Changing Lives, and um, I've been speaking and, and doing everything like you know, as far as food goes. I'm addicted to food. I love food. I love anything to do with food. I, I research food. I read about it. You know, I go on holidays to Africa for a month and I take, uh, you know, a book that's all about food. So it's my leisure time. It's my fun time. It's my study. It's my work. It's my everything. You know, one thing that I'd say, most people out there that would say they're addicted to food, and this is no disrespect to the human race out there, but most people that say they're addicted to food are overweight and that's what their excuse is. Clearly, you are not overweight. You're 52 years of age, and you're one of the hottest women I've ever seen. Um, she wears shorts, everybody. She looks hot in a singlet. She's got boobs that still stay up. So she is a hot-looking chick. <laughs> um, but really, I mean, would it be fair to say that you are a change agent in the nutritional world? Yeah, I, yeah, I think I would... Look, thank you, Kim. I appreciate um, that you said that. And, uh, you are and so I am humble. Thank you. I am humble by what you guys say. I always am. And I am a change agent. I've been doing this for 30 years and not many people were doing this 30 years ago. So it excites me that it's, it is progressing and this is happening and more and more people are talking about it. Like one person can't see the whole world, but the more people we have out there talking about it, the better. And so I love it. I absolutely love what's happening. And I actually do this because I love it. I don't do it to change the world or anything like that. I actually do this because I love it. I love to research it. And, 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 you know, it is really all about me and what I've done. <laughs> and, and why I say that is that when I find something wrong, I go, well, how can I correct this? How can I change this? And, and I want to change myself first. And then I go, how did I do that? And then I just want to teach it. Yeah. And, and so really in the, in the beginning, it's about what I love to do, what I love to discover, what I love to research. Then I love to teach it. And then what anybody gets out of it, that's great. Yeah. You know? So the, the ultimate thing is I do this because I love it. You think, though, outside the square, one of your philosophies is that you do what other people don't do. So most of us, if we felt sick or something, our first form of, of method of healing would be to see a specialist, perhaps a doctor, or go down the orthodox track. I think what you've taught me and Karen and what we've come across is that actually don't go down that same track. Look beyond the realm of, of what is normal and actually be abnormal for want of a better word and it's that abnormality which is actually becoming more of a normality now because more and more people are wanting to seek alternatives is that how you look at it well this is the way I, exactly what you said but i look at it this way is that statistics that we read all the time like heart disease is our biggest killer cancer diabetes all of these statistics are because everybody's doing the same thing and getting the same result that's so true hmm. And if they do something different, then they're not going to get the same result as everybody else. So that's the way I look at it. So I look at what the crowd is doing and I do the opposite. Yeah. So the crowd is eating margarine, low fat, high carb. And I go, well, let's eat butter, high fat, low carb. You know, let's do that. And, and actually, I'm not a real low carb. I'm not the high protein person. It's, it's actually all based on anthropology. So yes, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a statistic. In any realm of my life, in anything that I do. So I look at what the group is doing, or the, the majority is doing, and I do the opposite. And it works well. It works really well. And then when I do the research, I go, well, that's why everybody's like this, is because that's what they've been doing. 
And what's amazing is that the amount of people that are doing this research now and, and getting that same aha is quite phenomenal. You're, sorry, you're back to basics really, aren't you? Yeah. 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 The part that I love, and just so that our listeners know, when Cindy came into the studio this morning, and Kim, really, um, you know, I kind of feel a little left out, but... When they came into the studio this morning, they both walk in with their own little eskies and their own little baskets filled with food, and I'm staring at bags of salt with iodine, cacao wafers, frozen mango stones, cashew cream jars with fruit to dip in it. You know, this is just, you know, normally if you go somewhere and you're going to get together for some time, you bring chips and dip and soft drinks and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Like, that's the normal, habitual way that people eat. And to see you two walk in with your baskets of goodies and you're all prepared with ice packs and everything, <laughs> it really is It's it really is so incredibly, uh, you know, I mean, it's funny to me. It's funny to look at it. But over and above that, it's, it's just so self-empowering, though. You know, I've got to be honest, I, I took a leaf out of your book just last week. We went out for breakfast, and I am following Cindy's advice ferociously and not eating any grains. So I bought some of the Essene sprouted bread, went out for breakfast, and I took a slice of the Essene sliced bread and popped it in my bag in a little plastic bag, went to the uh, breakfast shop, and instead of them giving me mushrooms on sourdough, I gave them my Essene bread. And they just toasted that for me and popped the mushrooms on it. So because I was prepared with my own food, it was kind of acceptable. Nobody looked at me like I was a freak of nature, which I was expecting. Mm. I'm so proud of you, Karen. I never... You know, and we have to, sometimes we have to do this. Yeah. Sometimes we, if we want to live a healthy life and someone's not going to give us what we want, yeah. we actually have to take it. You know, like we had Jessica Ainscoff around for dinner. And, you know, Jessica is someone who eats raw vegan. Yes. And at this dinner party, by, by the way, I had paleo, two paleos, uh, my father, who will eat anything, my husband, who's a celiac, myself, who was uh, doing a protocol at that time, and Jessica, who's a raw vegan. Oh, no, actually, she's not raw vegan. She's vegan. But organic. It organic. had to be organic. That's right. And she realizes that not everybody can figure out what she needs to do. So she actually bought a bowl of quinoa. I supplied everything else for her, but she bought her quinoa. And this is what we've got to do is that we've got to start, you know, going out of our way just a little bit. If you want that extra special, healthy, energetic life, sometimes you have to do that. Mm. And, like, we carry around, Kim and I um, have just been together for the weekend, and it was so funny. We sat down to breakfast, and I brought out the Rapidura sugar. Don't worry, everybody, if you're listening to this and go, what? <laughs> you will learn all about this. We brought out Rapidura sugar, the seaweed salt, and I have a mix of seaweed and sesame seed. And I put it out on the table, and everybody put it on their scrambled eggs. <laughs> it was our condiments, but we have to take them ourselves. Yeah, we do. And it's not, and you know what I'm finding though, is people start asking now, what are you doing? I, I don't teach anybody anymore. They ask. Yeah, they that's see, so true. They see your spunk, they see your energy, they see that light in your eye, and they're going, what are you on? What are you doing? And in a way, I go, I'm just, I'm getting back to nature. That's what I'm doing. I'm eating what God provided. It's the best way I can look at it. That's such a beautiful way to look at it. And I think you, your body, your body can't help but transform as a result of that. But you not know? only your body, but your mind too. It's true. And you know, Karen, you help with the mind so mm. much uh, uh, as far as really feeding the mind with the right information. Mm. If you feed the body with the right food, 
mind's part of the body. Mm-hmm. And so they work beautifully together. Mm-hmm. And what happened uh, during the whole changing habits um, metamorphosis, as I call it, is that I've always been about information. Mm-hmm. You know, giving people the information to empower them. You know, we've already talked about how important that is. To empower them to make the right choices as far as their food goes. Because many people, they actually believe marketing and advertising. They believe what their doctor might tell them, but their doctor might be told by some propaganda Absolutely. that they should be doing this. And their doctor has been only told what maybe the Nutrition Foundation or you know whatever who is out there telling us what we should be eating. They're listening to them. And you know what, these guys, I actually feel sorry for them a little bit, is that they're getting their information, what they believe is an authority. The information doesn't work. They then tell their patients to go on it. No wonder they're saying diet has nothing to do with your disease because they're giving the diet that our authorities are telling us what we should eat. And then it's not working. Well, of course it's not working. It never has worked. It's been, and we, you know, at a later time we will discuss why that doesn't work. So what happened was that I was always about information. And then I realized that people kept saying, where do I buy that salt you're talking about? Where do I get that sugar? What colloidal is the best colloidal? What is the best chocolate? What is the best this? And one day, we just, my husband and I, uh, who now works with me, we decided that we would just put in packages and we put this cranky label on the package. It was was cranky. It was naff. Yeah, it was (laughs) naff. And and we put 500 grams of salt in a bag with a cranky label and we just said to everyone, we've made it up for you. You've all been talking about it. We've made it up for you. Here it is. Well, we sold just to our database, and this was a couple of years ago, 400 in, you know, less than a week, 400 parcels. Oh, my God. It's our best seller. We sell hundreds every week of that salt. In actual fact, my husband has just ordered three tonnes. This is how much, and this is like our monthly, this is, this is going to start to be our monthly thing of how much salt we actually sell. Because people went, wow. you're telling us, me to do this, and then it's like, well, where do we get it? And Well, we're just going to be a place where you can get it. So that was uh, two years ago now, and we now have food. We now, anything I talk about, anything we talk about in Changing Habits is now what we're trying to bring in to our food line. So what have you got in your food line right now? All right, well, salt, which is our seaweed salt, which is a Himalayan sea salt with dulse. Uh, and, we're, you know, like, it, it's very hard. I throw in comments out here, and people are going, dulse? What's dulse? But we will, you know, we've got to remember that the information the three of us have is, like, how long is a piece of string, you know? It's, it's, it's a year's worth of accumulation, yeah. really, isn't it? It is. Like, I'm 30 years... You're, how old are you now? Moving <laughs> <laughs> on, anyway. Let me write along. Right along. <laughs> but between us, well, between all of us, we probably have oh. 70 years of information. At least. At least. So they're not going to get it in this first talk. So if we throw something out, it just, you will get it eventually. Uh, but let's just throw comments at, <laughs> at the moment. So we have the dots. We have the rapid of sugar. Uh, we just put in cacao wafers, which is 100% chocolate. You know, that's, and you'll learn more about that one. Uh, we have colloidal minerals. We have a green powder. Uh, we have probiotics that are not made on petri dishes, but made from food. Inkinchi. Uh, inch, inch, inch oil. And you'll be going, inkinchi? What's inkinchi? Don't worry, you'll get that. So, very different foods, but they're foods that are real. But they're foods that our family have embraced totally. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that you do is 
I really believe you have the power to lead by example. So when you see someone doing something like you do, I want what you've got. So I want to have what you've got. So what are you doing? And that's what makes us think differently. I think it's also about trust, don't you think? It's, it's oh, like yeah. you're getting a whole lot of information. Some of us will trust a doctor. Some of us will trust a naturopath. But it's, to me, after watching you and certainly being around Karen and yourselves for years, is I really get how passionate you are. I get that you do your research and I get that you speak and walk your truth. And that means more to me than anything. And that's such a good point that you make there, Kim. You know, when I first met Cindy like 10 years ago almost, um, I looked at this absolute vision who always looked to be glowing to me. Mm. And then watching her speak and watching her information was always very intriguing, but it was too big a leap for me to go from um, Pepsi, Cola to coconut water. It was too big a jump for me to go from ice magic to raw cacao, you know. It was too big a leap. Mm -hmm. But then the more I spent time with Cindy and the more I saw the fruits of her knowledge actually play out with people that I knew, including you, um, who's so incredibly fit and, and, and so incredibly strong, it made me look at you guys and I thought to myself, those girls seem to be able to get through... 48 hours in a 24-hour day, whereas I'm dragging my sorry soul around <laughs> with my knuckles on the ground, and I'm, you know, I'm 10 years younger. So, well, not I'm not 10 years younger than you, love. Yeah, let's just rephrase that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Kim and I are the same age. <laughs> I'm the old one in the story. Yeah. The old wise one. Yeah. But I think... But I think even though, you know, the products that you're talking about might be a little bit foreign for people, I think it's a really good way for people to start getting curious and for our listeners to really start getting curious about what is raw cacao, what is dulse, what is Inca Inchi. And, you know, we're all on Facebook. Mm. So jump onto Cindy's Facebook page of Changing Habits and post your questions up there because Cindy is a font of knowledge and there's nobody else that I know like you that's as giving and is generous with all the research and the knowledge that you've that you've gained over the years you just give so freely and it's so inspiring mm. thank you it, to me we have to get this information out and I saw a quote recently and the quote was the more society moves away from the truth the more angry people are to people who tell the truth <laughs> Ah. Yeah, so, you know, I'm often, I will say something and get absolutely slammed mm. by what I say. And it might be butter versus margarine. You know, it might be something as simple as that. It, it might be, is wheat good or not good? You know, I ask the questions and we've lost our way with our food. We think that a, a bowl of cereal is okay. You know, we think that low-fat milk is okay. We, we think that all of these things, you know, are, are okay. And people might be out there going, but isn't breakfast cereal okay? And isn't low-fat milk the right thing? Mm -hmm. So we're so far from the truth now yeah. that when somebody assaults us with the truth, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's mm -hmm. almost like that because that's what it feels like, you just push them away and you, you ridicule them and you don't want to hear it. Mm -hmm. Well, this is where they're going to hear the truth yeah. from all of us. You know, and, you know, let's go to, Karen, when we met. You know, because when 
we met, I sat in your audience, starstruck at this woman who had an amazing story. You know, you did have, you know, your story to me, and I probably heard it 50 times now. And I get this Mm -hmm. shiver that comes from my neck, and it actually goes up through my skull. I've never had that experience before. Every time. It doesn't matter. I've heard it. I know it. I'm with you all the time, but I still get it. So why do you, Karen, do what you do? You know, what, what, what is your reason for doing the wonderful thing? And, and explain to everybody what you do because we, we're such you. fans. Oh, we're raving fans. Raving fans. So, this is a club of mutual love. <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's just get clear on this, everybody, that there is a lot of love in the studio, a lot of love in the studio. Um, okay, well, I mean, I, met, I think I met Cindy. I think I met you. It would have been at least – well, actually, no, it, it probably was about seven years ago now. Um, and then I would have met Kim not long after mm. that. Um, I decided to start speaking, to start sharing my story, because it was a way for me to heal. Um, most of our listeners would, would relate to this, I think. We've just had the 10-year anniversary of the Bali bombing, and I was in Bali on the night of the 12th of October 2002, and I was in the Sari Club where both of my two girlfriends were killed, and the left side of my skull was completely crushed as a result of the shrapnel that came from the bomb. And, you know, I went through an incredible sense of guilt and responsibility over that because the year before, my partner of um, eight years had committed suicide. Now, I'd gone to Bali with my own sinister intentions because I felt that I was responsible for his suicide. I felt that I was the person who did it to him because I didn't see it coming. And I felt that it was my fault. It was something that I could have done. I could have saved him. I could have done something differently. I'd been with him for eight years, for goodness sake. Like, why didn't I see it coming? But I didn't. I didn't see any of it coming. And the weeks and the months that passed beyond his suicide just took me on a journey of absolute devastation and despair where getting up in the morning was almost too much you know getting up in the morning and looking at my face and hearing the sound of my voice and brushing my teeth I couldn't stand it I couldn't stand to see myself I couldn't stand to even be myself and that just escalated you know as the weeks and the months went by to the point where by the time his 12-month anniversary rolled around I was in a real state of detachment and I was in a real state of disassociation from reality to the point where I only felt that the only answer and the only way out for me and relief for my friends and my family was for me to take my own life. I felt that that was my way for me to escape the pain because I couldn't live with it. It was beyond what I could cope with. But I also felt that I deserved it. I felt that I was such a hateful soul that I deserved to not be here. And it was a price I had to pay. So on the 12-month anniversary, I took myself to Bali for, um, you know, with, with my intentions of taking my life. And I had two girlfriends of mine that were just not going to let me go anywhere by myself. And one of my girlfriends, Jody, her and I had been best friends for about 10 years. And she just said to me, you know what, Kaza, there's just no way you're going anywhere without me. I'm on to you. I know you're up to something and I'm on to you. So, you know, I mean, I was so detached from reality, I couldn't have convinced her not to come. 
because I couldn't even convince myself not to go. So that was the night that we landed in Bali on the 12th of October. We landed there at 2pm and that night was the explosion, which of course changed everything. Um, they didn't make it. I did. Um, and, you know, it was a huge, a huge reality check, I guess, to go through something like that and then come out the other side wondering why I survived when I'd gone there with all intentions not to. Like, why the hell was I still here? Why, why was I not taken and they were spared? Why was that? Like, who made that decision? Which was a question that plagued me day after day for a good five or six years. And in that, in that questioning, it was, it was a question that still to this day I don't think I'll ever be able to understand. I'll never understand and I'll never have a real answer for it. But after six years of lying in bed crying about how bad my life was and how sad my life was, I actually got to a point where I realised everybody in my life was getting very bored with my complaining. After six years of hearing my story, day in, day out, I'm depressed, feel sorry for me, I'm not responsible for myself or my impotent actions, feel sorry for me, feel sorry for me. And for me, it was a real, yes, it was a cry for help, but I knew what I was doing. I didn't have any other options. I didn't know any better, but I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing with my depression. And my depression for me was a, was seeking attention. I wanted a way out and I wanted attention. I wanted people to feel sorry for me. I didn't know what else to do with myself. You know, if I'd known better, I probably would have done better, but that was the best I knew. So as a result of going through that and then this constant seeking for attention and then after six or seven years reaching a point where people were starting to get frustrated with me in my life because everybody was trying to help me yet it was falling on deaf ears because I was unhelpable, I was unsavable because I was making that choice every day to be unsavable. And when my partner Matt, he finally said to me, "Hun, I love you but you are doing this to yourself. I tell you, I mean, initially I was infuriated. I mean, for goodness sake, I've been blown up. <laughs> Give me some damn respect. <laughs> you know? Don't you dare blow me up. Hey, that's right. How dare you? That was how I felt. But very wise in what he oh, said. Look, you know, it was the absolute turning point for me because it took me a week to get past my fury. <laughs> but when I got past my fury, I actually got the opportunity to ask myself the question, was I doing it to myself? And it put me into a different conversation. Instead of the conversation with myself being, I hate you, you're worthless, you're hopeless, you're useless, you're unlovable, and you deserve everything you get. Instead of the conversation being that, the conversation I woke up with was, who's having that thought? Who's, who's having that thought? Where's that thought coming from? So it was actually, it was a very gradual process, but it was a process of actually examining what I was thinking and who was thinking it. Because nobody else was telling me I was unlovable. No one else was telling me that I was guilty and I was responsible. I was. I was the one who was having the thought. And when I woke up and I said, who's having the thought? And I answered with, I am. It was like all of a sudden I realised there were two parts to me. And then maybe there were five, and then maybe there were ten, and maybe I just had multiple personalities. 
But I really got to see that there was more than just one one aspect to our humanness, in that in fact there's the voice that speaks to us, but then there's the aspect of us that's listening. And in that there's there's the two components of humanity, or that you know, and actually I would go as far as to say there is more than that, which we'll reveal later, but you know, there's the, there's the two parts to that that made me start to really answer my own questions. And I didn't know how to answer them. I didn't know how else to think. I didn't know what else to say to myself. But I knew that I was the one who was initiating the thoughts that were driving me into deeper and deeper stages of depression. And when I got that reality, it was a reality that allowed me to arrest the depression where it was and to stop having the conversation. Each time the thought entered my head that I hate you, I was able to arrest that conversation right there and then and say, okay, well, I don't know what else to think, but I know I'm not going to think that anymore. And then I would play with the dog or I'd go and make cupcakes or I'd do something. But I knew enough at that point to arrest the thought. Karen, I just... Cindy and I get blown away every time we hear you speak, but what I'm hearing and what I love is, is the investigation of mm-hmm. one's mind. Um, that it's not just black and white, that it's not just this thought, this action, this moment, that if we can appreciate and truly indulge ourselves into believing there's more, I think that's what I get from you every time you speak, is that I have a whole new realm. Like, I think how I think, and now I realise how I think isn't how I, how I could think, and then how I could think is more than I would ever think. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> well, like, how, well, how other people think. Yes, yes. Yeah, like, like I would say that a lot of our listeners will relate to you mm-hmm. and what you're saying because there's a lot of people out there that do hate themselves. They look in the mirror and they, they do a whole hate class on themselves. Mm. And that, you know, I, I would love you to talk more about how you help people now because of your experience. Yeah. yeah what are the tools? How do you yeah, tell we someone? We want everything now. Yes. <laughs> everything now. All of it right now? Okay, ready? Yes, please. <laughs> but seriously, we are all looking yeah. for hooks, for clues, for mm. interest. And, you know, what you said before, though, and just before you do go into this, it is a process. Mm. And I think we have to be kind to ourselves to allow ourselves the process. And I really get that with you, that I don't have to get it in an instant, mm. but be aware that there is an opportunity for that difference. So mm. how do you now teach people to give that, that thought process? Well, I think the luxury of the years in depression, it does actually give you that self-indulgence because you're self-indulging anyway. And the, it's just that the indulgence and the power that you're putting into that self-indulgence you're using for evil. As a depressed person, we're using our power for evil rather than for good. We're using it for our disempowerment rather than our empowerment. So we're indulging ourselves anyway. And the truth of the reality for all of humanity, because this is what I've learned as a result of my experiences and all the study and all the research that I've done, is that it's the basic human condition, is this this underlying belief that we're not good enough. Every single one of us has it to some extent and it manifests in our lives in some way, shape or form, either in our work, in our business, with our relationships and with our children. It manifests in some way. And for some people it's extreme where they turn to alcohol or abuse or addiction of some kind. But for others it's just this seething insecurity that seems to sizzle underneath our skin and keep us right on the edge of 
of normality and disempowerment almost. It's like it's it's like a choice almost that occurs for us unconsciously of am I normal and do I fit in or am I actually a fraud, disempowered and I'm really not good enough just trying to make it. And it seems it seems there's a lot of blame in that state. It's other people's fault. It's other people's issues. It's not me. Why me? Is that right? Like, oh, look, and massively, and I'll certainly go into that because I think that in itself is a whole new up for chat topic, which is where we look outside of ourselves and we blame other people. But really, what's what we're seeing is what's going on for ourselves, and. You know, and, and we'll certainly talk about this, but when we see something in somebody else that we don't like, that's actually our invitation to start doing the inner work. That's our invitation. So if I looked at you and I said, oh, my goodness, you're such a, you're just such a B-I-T-C-A. And you just, you know, I don't know. Like, can I say the word? Don't dare. No, okay. Not that first hour. Not in that first hour. Not in that first hour. No, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't anyway. You're looking at me so innocent. <laughs> <laughs> no, I couldn't. But, you know, if I was to look at somebody walking down the street or if I was to look at somebody that I went to school with that I didn't like or, you know, and I said that they were just they were just nasty or they were just, you know, uh, they picked on people, that would be an opportunity for me to look at myself and say, where do I pick on people? As opposed to me looking outside and, and casting blame. So I think that... Um, Very confronting. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, it is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it is because it's, you know, it, but it's, you know, Cindy, it's actually not dissimilar to what you do with food because we're so habituated in the way that we eat and we're so educated, we think, in the way that we eat. When somebody comes sharing and bearing the truth, it's quite confronting. Mm-hmm. And it's no different with our mindset and our thought processes because our food is just as toxic to the body as our thought processes are, yet at school we don't learn how to make the most of our thought processes so that then our thoughts become a vehicle for empowerment, growth and expansion. We don't learn how to do that. So somebody comes along with the truth on how to actually take your thoughts, take your mindset and put it into, um, I guess, a, a way of of analysing it and examining it and making your mindset work for you rather than having your mindset become a ball and chain that drags behind you, slows you down, and then you land up in a box eventually anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, we've all got choices. And I think with what I do now, you know, I, I, I'm a professional speaker. I, I'm an author, finally. <laughs> yeah, and a beautiful one. <laughs> And we will be talking about that next week. We're actually going to get delve right into your new book, Soul Survivor, and I'm so excited because I loved it. Oh, totally. Um, it's, the, it's been the... I've got goosebumps thinking about it. So we're going to do that next week. Oh, yay. No, well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that. But I, I, think, that, um, I think that the real key for people in terms of why I do what I do, I've realised that... And this is just my belief, you know, but I I honestly believe that we have our experiences on behalf of mankind. It wasn't for me to be blown up and to go through the suicide and to go through everything I've gone through and then to just live a small fry life doing nothing with what I discovered about that, doing nothing with the truth of what I learned about humanity through that process. It's not good enough for me to sit at home and keep that secret when what I've discovered and unveiled and revealed is the actual truth behind humanity and why we do what we do. And for me, that's given my life meaning again. 
It's given me a reason to uh, participate. It's given me a reason to contribute and a reason to make a difference. And that's why I do it with the ferocity and the vivaciousness that I do it. Because for me, that's why I survived. I survived in order to help humanity become more of themselves. And for me to have gone through my experiences, and, and as I say, I believe we've had our experiences on behalf of mankind, I've taken the hit. I've took, taken one for the team so that the team can be bigger, better, faster and stronger because of it. And I can say to you now, hand on heart, I would do it all over again. I would never want to sacrifice the people that I've sacrificed in my life. Of course, that to me, you know, I'd give anything to have them back. But the reality is I am here. And if I am to be here, I am to be here in my most potent form. Because if I can be that as a result of my experiences, then people can be their most potent form as a result of their experiences. And hopefully I can be an example of possibility for them. And that's really why I do everything that I do. I speak in excess of 100 to 110 um, conferences and seminars every year. I've spoken for 45,000 people around the globe inside of four years, and I feel like I'm only just beginning. I'm really, you know, this is just the beginning, and I, and I feel like it's, I've been given the greatest gift that anybody could possibly be blessed with. And, to, and, and it's just like you, Cindy, and, and, and with you, Kim, which we're going to hear about in two seconds, it's the gift of truth. When you when you when you ha- when you're exposed to so much in life, you actually get to see truth, and I think it's our responsibility to share that. But as you said earlier, Cindy, you know you've got to get it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got to discover it for yourself. You've got to fall in love with the truth and implement the truth and and embrace and embody the truth. For yourself, and as a result of knowing what that can do for you, you then become an example for others through your sharing and through your honesty. You know what I, I um, believe is that those that know have uh, need to act, yeah. they need to tell people, and everybody has experiences in their life. Everybody has things happen in their life. It's it's not so much what happens to you. But it's what you do with those experiences. And Mm. for me, what you did with those experiences, I watch you change people's lives. You know, I've been to I've been to a lot of other talks and I've also been to a lot of Karen's, you know, Mindset Mastery and your speaker's secret. And what I I watch people, you know, I'm watching you and I'm learning from you, but I'm also watching what happens. And I remember that when I did Mindset Mastery with you, I think it was five days, and I watched young girls come and listen to you full of hate for themselves. Like, I I just, yeah, I did. I looked at these young girls and I went, you are beautiful. How can you think that? And And I watched them transform to young women who hated themselves to young women who realized their worth in the, on the planet and how they were going to make a difference. Mm. And to me, that's your gift to the world, mm. is that transformation that I, I watched. And I've only watched you do one of them, and I know you've been doing lots and lots and lots of them. You know, like you said, 110 a year. Mm-hmm. So it's, we have the knowledge, and now we have, we have the privilege of the knowledge, yeah. and now we have to act on that. And I watch you act on that every single day of your life. You know, I'm sitting here going, oh, my gosh. 
I'm going to have 52 hours with you this year. <laughs> Same. I know. I'm so excited. And, I, and I'm, go, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I, I'm, gonna, I'm one of the luckiest people yeah. is that I'm gonna, I've got 52 hours with you. I know you've got to sit with me for the next, you know, for 52 hours for, you know, that's a one hour a week for the next 52 weeks for the year and then who knows. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get all this information from her. <laughs> so you know, you know what it is with you, us. What I yeah. think that you've done and, and for many of us you've, You've now delved deeper. So those of us searching, we can get more answers. We can expand our horizons and our thoughts and our own beliefs and understandings. But I think, too, you're incredibly simple. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that. No. But it's simple to me. What I've got from you is if it feels good and your intentions are good and you're always wanting to do good, then you're on the right path. Absolutely. It's that simple. So speaking of simple, oh. <laughs> I, I just want you to know that Karen just pointed at Kim. <laughs> just that very minute as she said, speaking of simple. Well, actually, you know, and, and yeah, speaking of simple, you know, I, I'm just loving this, you know, because this is just, this is awesome to see how connected our messages are and how alike we actually are. You know, you talk about doing the opposite to what normal people do. I do the same thing with our thought processes. This is what the what majority of humanity are thinking. Think the direct opposite. And with Kim, you know, with what you do, with your your beliefs around skincare and your beliefs around beauty and self acceptance and 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 self uh, self indulgence. You know, that's such a luscious word. I love it. But it's simple, and it's easy, and it's changed my life you know i don't have any perfumes in my house anymore i only have the oils and actually remind me i must place an order for the skip there <laughs> sorry sorry i'll just, just put this as a note here can we just make a note i've got to get the i've got to get the cleanser <laughs> tell us about tell us about you and tell us about what you do and how on earth you got into what you do because the number of people who are crying out for what you do is is mind blowing. It's it's. If I sat there and looked back in my life and said to you both, at fifteen I wanted to leave school and I wanted to be a lawyer, and I wanted to be a netball player for New Zealand. That's what I thought at fifteen. And then I took a journey. I took a plane ride. I went to Perth and I met a man who rocked my world and then we went our separate ways and I thought I wanted to marry him but I knew at 19 he wouldn't want to he he wasn't aware of what that meant at 21 for him and so I knew I had to let that go so I decided to go on a different journey and I stayed in Melbourne for those that can hear my accent yes there is a Kiwi lingering inside um so when I started in Melbourne don't don't hold that against me When I was in Melbourne, I just believe you're in the right place at the right time and to trust that instinct. And I wanted to work. I was I was passionate about fitness and health. And there was a gymnasium right close to where I was living. So I walked into this gymnasium and asked if they needed some work. And they did. Right next to the gymnasium was a, was a natural therapies college. I had $800 in my bank account. I was 19 years of age. And I went along to a talk one night and I heard these two women speak on oils and um, aromatherapy and fitness and health and and I looked at them and I, I did perhaps what so many of us do when we see someone inspirational is I sat there and I went, I want what she's got. I want that. So I found out what they did and who they were and they ran an aromatherapy company. 
which then led me to enrolling in a course. And from that, and I, I think what I can safely say about all three of us is I know stuff, I know I know stuff, and I know I don't know stuff, which is why I love learning from people. But what I really got at 19 years of age was I don't know that I don't know a lot of stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, a lot of people don't know that they don't know. That's right. And, yeah. And yeah, no, it makes so much sense. So I sat there and went, oh, my gosh, where's the lawyer in me? So I, and I might add, I did do law school for six months and hated it. Sorry, lawyers. <laughs> but I just realised that's not me. You know, it wasn't my path. It wasn't my destiny. But when I sat there and started learning about the effects of touch and what skin and and then by touching my body and then every time I ran so having an awareness. So you touch yourself? I touch myself with honour, with privilege. Regularly? Regularly. Right. Daily. Okay. Daily. Okay. Good, good. Dave, we got that clear. Have you read Fifty Shades? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All three. Anyway. Um, but what I learned from that, that awareness of our skin is was actually a metaphor, if you like, for everything I do. So we can do things that physically become a metaphor mentally, which I think is so appropriate that I'm sitting here with you two, mind stuff and body stuff. And I probably sit in the middle of you both where I take the tools, and I truly have taken the tools that I've learned from both of you and then try and implement it through my methods of doing that. Now, again, there's no accidents in life. At 19 years of age, I had to go and get some of my log hours up, you know, to community hours to get my diploma. And I thought, gosh, what's the quickest way to do this? So I'd heard about an ultra marathon that was on in Melbourne. So I went along and I heard about this man called Cliff Young. And some of you may be aware that Cliff Young won the inaugural Sydney to Melbourne race, ran 1,015 kilometres, and he just intrigued me. He was this little shuffler, a little farmer, in gumboots and, and all that sort of thing. And he was very simple. Um, but and how he, old was he? He was 68 when he won that, oh, right? So, yeah, so he was an incredibly old athlete, if you like. So he intrigued me. And when he chose me, he chose two blondes to work on his team, um, I just thought, great, I can get my 24 hours up, at least I'm sharing it with someone interesting. And after about eight hours, he came into the pit stop tent and he said, how's it going, kid? And I went, oh, Cliffy, this is so boring. And he went... Well, what's boring? I mean, watching 40 athletes run around a 400-metre track for 24 hours, I think I'd rather eat blades, you know? Like, <laughs> And he looked at me and he goes, well, why don't you into one? And I thought, easy, challenge, good, no worries. So I actually filled out a form there and then at the race and thought I'll do the next 12-hour race. Because I would not even contemplate that that was easy. 24 hours running around a 400-metre track. Well, I know, I didn't think that. Oh, obviously you weren't because, because <laughs> Have you been training? No, I'd never, I'd never run beyond 10Ks in my life. I was a netballer. And so, but I looked at it and I watched these athletes and I think what you three of us are about, we're also, I think, very good observers. We, we also learn as much from observing as we do doing and I think that's a real skill in itself. I didn't realise it at the time, but watching these athletes, I watched them have pity parties. I watched these people have tantrums, and I thought it was pathetic. I watched these people get up and guts it out when they had blisters the size of their feet, and that intrigued me. So I think I just had this thing of, what does that feel like? What would it be like to do something like that? Could I push myself to that limit? And then someone said, you know what a 24-hour run is about, Kim? It's about seeing how far you can push yourself in the cycle of the sun. And that sat with me. I don't know, it just sat in my heart. But the first race I did was That's a 12-hour yeah. race. yeah. So both the Karen and I are sitting here going, oh, oh. <laughs> can you say that again? 
But how, the how far a 24-hour race or a 24-hour day, because I use it as a metaphor, how far can I push myself? How far can I be myself in the cycle of the sun? Mm. So, you know, it's very easy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> but it's very easy if you sat there and looked at the time right now and went, what was I doing 24 hours ago? You'd be amazed how much you fitted in or perhaps how much you wasted or perhaps how much you could have done. And so my run... I don't know whether I had it young or whether it was the oils or whether it was these two women I heard or whether it was the study I was doing, but it intrigued me is probably the best thing. And deep down, if I'm really honest, the bloke that I met in Perth was also an international cricketer playing for New Zealand. And I wanted to show him that I could do something amazing too, even though we weren't together. I thought, well, you're an athlete. I can be an athlete, you know. So there was a little subtext. There was a little subtext. I haven't heard of this little subtext. So, and I just thought I wanted to prove something, you know. I want to be someone. I want to try and do something. And Cliffy was the one that said to me, I reckon you could do it. So I rocked up there for the 12-hour race was the first one that I did. And, and that's a whole story in itself. But I remember six hours halfway into that race, I just wondered how the heck I was going to finish. I had bruising, not bruising, I had swelling, I had inflammation, I had blisters, I had chafing, I had bleeding, I was hungry, I was tired, I just, why, why, and then I had this whole thing, like what you're saying, I had this voice in my head saying, why are you doing this, this is pathetic, why do you want to, what is she, sit down, relax, quit, and I had this voice saying, quit, and what do you have to prove, what do I have to prove, that is exactly what I said, and then, and, and you know what, that voice kept winning. And so I did quit. I went in the tent. I said, I can't do it anymore. I, I quit. I give up. I, I don't want to go on. I can't. I'm injured. It hurts. I'm in pain. Mm. Feel sorry for me. Pity pain. Totally, totally. I was doing what these yeah. athletes were doing. And I, in fact, at one point had a tantrum where I just, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> and for you that are parents out there, do you ever yell at your children? Yes, I do. And have you ever <laughs> eaten the chocolate when you should? Yes, I have. And like, yeah, I was in one of those tantrum moments and I didn't want to go on. Cliffy came into the tent and said to me something I have never forgotten. It is 90% mental and 10% physical. If you put your mind into action rather than your body, you will keep going. And that sat with me. It, it, I wanted to hit him, but I didn't have any energy to hit him. But he just said to me, get out on the track, just keep moving forward. So I got up and I, I got out and it hurt. It really hurt. Like in all honesty, if I really gave him my levels of pain... I was sitting in a 9-10, like a point where I didn't think I could go on. But he held my hand and he said, we can do this. You can do this. And I did. And at 12 hours, the, the to be honest with you, I ran the last hour faster than I ran the first hour. I don't know where it came from. I I truly believe as a personal trainer, as a, as a teacher, as an educator, that I don't even believe we understand how much more we have in us. I don't believe... We really know our full potential. I, I don't believe any of us, even me at this moment, I know there is more. There is so much more. So this race, if you like, became a metaphor for my life. And I knew then that I could complete my diplomas. I knew I could... What's interesting is at the end of that, when we, they gave me my trophy and they said, you know, Kim, it's amazing. You've actually won the race. You've won the female section. You've run 95.4 kilometres. Uh, but because of that, you've won a place to represent Victoria at the 24-hour championships in three months' time. And everyone's clapping and cheering inside it. And all I could think was, you're kidding. I'm going to do that all over again. It's twice as long. What, are you serious? And I'm smiling going, oh, my gosh, everyone's so happy, you know. And I think what the three of us are about is 
maybe I didn't realise at the time, but I know when we step out of our comfort zone, when, when you take that leap of faith into the unknown, you actually have no idea how much more you have in you. So I agree. I took up the challenge. I did do a bit more training. And maybe this is a topic we can go into another time, but what I got from the 24-hour race was even more than the 12-hour. And predominantly it's what we call the graveyard shift from midnight to 6 a.m. when the body is actually screaming, crying, sleep. You're trying to run and walk and eat and do things in the cold of the night. And it's actually named the graveyard shift because it's quiet. Even your support team is sleeping. They're tired. They're trying to be awake. It's this, But again, the mind, it's just such a mind, but it's also a body battle because you don't want to push your body so far that you're now injured and you won't run again. But is it the mind playing a trick saying, it's hurting so bad, I want you to stop? Mm. Um, or is the body going, please make me stop because I can't go on? And this was the questions I kept asking myself. And it was because of people like Cliffy that kept saying, keep going, don't give up. I think, you know, that is a very pertinent question. Is it the body? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the body or the mind that's playing the trick on you. Because mm. if you do push yourself too far and you're doing to yourself, is that the mind telling you this? You know, like, mm. it's actually, um, I've never thought about it before. So it's a, it's a great question to ask yourself. Mm. Which one's given up and which one's telling the other one to give up and which one is actually to blame? Or is anyone to blame? Yeah, well, mm. I don't think there's anyone, anyone or anything, and I believe everything happens for a reason. Why the heck was I in Melbourne at that point meeting Cliff Young telling me to run? I mean, I ended up finishing that race, and there's a whole story what I learned in that race, and there were many pity parties, <laughs> and there were many moments of breakthroughs, and there was this incredible joy, but also sadness and fear and worry and negativity and positivity. Look, I reckon, to be honest with you, I reckon I grew in age and wisdom more than I ever could in any other thing in that 24-hour period because you are totally questioning. There's no one else out there on the track. There is, but no one else is going to run the kilometres. No one else is going to push you. No one else is going to eat the food they tell you to eat. No one else is going to put the compress on your head and smell the oils to push yourself further. It's you. Mm. And I guess what I learned in this whole journey and looking back probably older and wiser, I... I I analyse it more a bit like you're saying in Bali. At the time, you don't think anything of it. You're just doing your being, you're in it. But when I analyse it and look back, I look back and I see a young woman desperate to learn and be something and want to try and achieve and, and discover. But in that process of, of that, I learnt who, who am I? Mm. Who am I? I can push through pain. I can... Um, I can do as I'm told because you'll know, both appreciate this. You're both very powerful personality types. Um, but at 3 o'clock in the morning when I quit the race, I really had quit this time because my knees were so swollen. I hid in the side of a portal. I hid in the portal on the side of the track. I took myself nice. off. Yes, yes, <laughs> nice. yes. It was actually, you've got no idea. How can a portal be heaven? But in that moment, I'm telling you, <laughs> even a portal is heavenly, right? So it's all perspective, is it yeah, not? It's all perspective. It's perspective. So I'm sitting in my heaven zone. I haven't told anyone where I've gone and I'm hiding because I don't want to go on. And the next minute, the fire brigade opens the doors because I fell asleep. They all thought I'd collapsed. They were worried. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this very hunky fireman is standing there and I've got my pants down (gasps) and I'm looking at him and I went, hi. And they're going, she's alive, she's alive. And when I came out of it and they helped me down, all the hip cramps and all the things that were going on, the doctor stood me on the scales and said, it's too much. You've lost seven and a half kilos, you're out. 
Now, I know you two will relate to this, but the minute he told me I couldn't go on, uh-huh. this voice switched yeah, yeah, on yeah. in my head and it went, don't you tell me I can't go on. I want to finish the race. Now, isn't that interesting? Yes. Tell me I can't do it and I want to try harder. Now, some of us do want to quit, by the way, and I'm not mm. saying that's wrong, but in that moment it was like, oh, my gosh, you're now telling me I can't. It was my mind telling me I can't. Now someone else is telling me I can't. So I begged and pleaded, and a long story short, they made me go back on and do as I was told. I had to become the child and listen and, and not do what I thought was right, but I ate what I was told. I drank what I did, and I won the race. I I still to this day, when I tell the story, I go, how did I do that? It's It was body over matter. It was mind over matter. It was soul. It was purpose. It was it was source. It was God. It was universe. It was it, it's not a race. It's not a. It's not a twenty-four hour run. It's a. It's a life lesson. It's a journey. It's a. It's a moment in time where you get to know yourself. I was going to say it's. It feels very much like to me as I'm watching you. It feels like you met yourself, mm-hmm. and you met the real you, not the you that tells you you're not good enough or any of that superficial stuff. You actually met the real you, and I've heard that about people who do these long marathons. And it's once you get to sort of the, you know, the 80 or the 90 kilometres, it's almost like all of the dross falls away and what's left is the euphoric, connected, source-given you um, where you actually get to experience what that feels like. And how could that not be life-changing? Yeah, and, and you know, you said it before, how could I not go through something like this and not share the knowledge I learnt? Which yeah. is why I do what I do. So tell us about that. What, I, are, you, what are you doing now? Well, I, my greatest fear was speaking, public speaking, and I'm apparently 90% of people are the same. It's one of our greatest fears. Um, so I took lessons. I hated it, I'll be honest. I hated it. Um, but then what I learned was I wanted to teach people the power of the oils and how they became these aromatic anchors for me. So to do that, I had to learn how to speak and I had to learn what I was talking about. From that, I became very aware of what we put on our skin and became very aware of what we eat and and all of those things as an athlete and as a person of health. And I had to walk the talk. And and I guess probably it was when I fell pregnant that I really started to question. I was always questioning what I put in my mouth. But it was really when I started putting things on my skin, I looked at the ingredients and I started asking, you know, what is sodium lauryl sulfate? What is a paraben? What's a methyl paraben? What's a polyparaben? What is these things called perfume what isn't that not an oil like i guess the question started asking then i started investigating and then i freaked and then i realized i had to tell the truth and i have to let people know that the beauty the health the fitness in the food industry is a joke and i'm sorry but i i believe a, a lot of it is a joke and i want people to hear the truth and like all three of us i would rather make you angry than sit there and going, oh, yeah, that was nice. Yeah, they're good, those three girls. I think our job is to make you guys angry or excited. I think we we want to make you get so emotional, you want to take action, because otherwise we're playing half half mass. We're not playing full out. And I think it's our job. If we have the gift of life and we are here, it's our job in order to create a ripple effect that we support others to come through. So when someone like you is in depression mode, we're here to help. But when Matt gets to a point, the greatest help he gave you was a kick up the butt. Mm. The greatest help... The doctor gave me that day was tell me to quit. Mm. The greatest thing was you seeing those doctors fat and overweight. You're going, this doesn't make sense. Like, hang on a minute, there's not truth here. And I think together the three of us have an ability to really share our truths and then look at us and think, well, maybe they're not the truth. So I'm going to investigate. So don't believe everything we say and what we're finding. 
if anything, I hope our goal in all of this is that we open the mind for inquisition, inquiry and investigation. And one thing that the three of us do do is we do investigate. And I ethically, and I know the two of you ethically, cannot say anything unless we truly believe what we've got. It's not about money. It, it is actually about our ethics, our moral, our what we believe. And by doing it that way, I believe that we have a truth for a lot of people. It may not be everyone's truth, but it's a new truth that's coming out. Mm. And if we're going to inspire change in people, number one is they need new truths because the old, the old whatever they were, and I don't want to call them truths because they're not, are not working. And do you think, though, just on that moment, do you think the new truths are, in fact, the original old truths? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, I feel like we're going back we to are. what originally was the truth. Yeah, I agree with you. The new truths are the old truths, but we've lost our way. We've lost common sense. And then we create an emotion, as you said. We, we want to get them angry. We want to get people angry because when you get angry, you will do something or mad. At, you're going, what right do they have to say that when it's not the truth? So you actually go, well, I'm going to do something about it. But we also want to get them excited, excited that this is easy. Mm. It's a step-by-step process, and that's what we're going to share uh, you know, in our, our podcast, we're going to share or what we believe are the steps that you need to take. And we're going to have chats and conversations about this. Mm. And I think, you know, it's fair to say that there'll also be some debates. But I think that's what's going to make these, co- these podcasts absolutely intriguing and a must listen to for our listeners. You know, we've got so much to share with you and so much education and opportunity that we want to create with you guys as our listeners. So it's super, super important that you mark your diaries with the time that our podcast is on and make sure that you tune in to listen to what's new and what we're chatting about and what's hot. It's super important. Now, for me, if you guys have got any questions, I'm on Facebook and my name is Karen Smith and it's C-A-R-R-E-N. Smith, spelt the normal way. So please jump onto my Facebook page and post me some comments. Ask me some questions. I would love to hear from you. You can also just go straight to my website, which is all the W's, karensmith.com. Kim? You can come and find me at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Also on Facebook. And yes, very much excited about the questions and the debates and the conversations that you yourself might want to hear. And uh, this is Cindy speaking now, and it's changinghabits.com.au, as well as Facebook, Changing Habits. If you go on there and just ask some questions, because, you know, we had 52 weeks that we figured out um, for the first year. We've already figured out our first year of conversation, but we want to hear from you because it's what we want to talk about, but it might not be what, you know, you want to hear about. So yeah, give we, us your ideas. Yeah, give Tell us, us your what ideas. you want to hear We about. are up for a chat. <laughs> we are up for a chat. On that note, signing off. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.